Hi everyone. Thank you for joining me. So, we are getting close to the end, closer and closer to the end of this wonderful book. And today I'm going to be reading the last two chapters in book 4. At some point during this audiobook podcast, I said that book 4 was the last book of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and that was incorrect. I did not mean to lie to you, but there is one more book. Book 5 will be the very last one. Um and it will be very short. So we are getting close to being done. Thank you, thank you for reading and listening along. And today let's get started with chapter 53 and 54. Chapter 53. She wrote that night as she had promised. a long letter in which she poured out all her love and repeated the promises she had given she left a little earlier for work to have time to mail the letter from the 34th street post office the clerk at the window assured her that it would reach its destination that afternoon that was wednesday she looked for but tried not to expect a letter thursday night There hadn't been time unless he too wrote immediately after they had parted. But of course, he had to pack maybe, get up early to make his train. It never occurred to her that she had managed to find time. There was no letter Thursday night. Friday, she had to work straight through a 16-hour shift. because the company was short-handed on account of an influenza epidemic when she got home a little before 2 in the morning there was a letter propped against the sugar bowl on the kitchen table she ripped it open eagerly dear miss nolan her happiness died it couldn't be from lee because he'd write dear francie She turned the page and looked at the signature. Elizabeth Rayner, Miss. Oh, his mother or a sister-in-law. Maybe he was sick and couldn't write. Maybe there was an army rule that men about to go overseas couldn't write letters. He had asked someone to write for him. Of course, that was it. She started to read the letter. Lee told me all about you. I want to thank you for being so nice and friendly to him while he was in New York. He arrived home Wednesday afternoon but had to leave for camp the next night. He was home only a day and a half. We had a very quiet wedding, just the families and a few friends. Francie put the letter down. I've been working 16 hours in a row, she thought, and I'm tired. I've read thousands of messages today and no words make sense right now. Anyhow, I got into bad reading habits at the bureau, reading a column at a glance and seeing only one word in it. First, I'll wash the sleep out of my eyes, have some coffee and read the letter again. 
This time I'll read it right. While the coffee heated, she splashed cold water on her face, thinking that when she came to the part of the letter that said wedding, she'd go on reading and the next words would be, Lee was the best man. I married his brother, you know. Katie lay awake in her bed. Katie, laying awake in her bed, heard Francie moving about in the kitchen. She lay tense, waiting, and she wondered what it was she waited for. Francie read the letter again. Wedding. Just the families and a few friends. Lee asked me to write and explain why he hadn't answered your letter. Again, thank you for entertaining him so nicely while he was in your city. Yours truly, Elizabeth Reiner. Miss. There was a postscript. I read the letter you sent Lee. It was mean of him to pretend to be in love with you, and I told him so. He said to tell you he's dreadfully sorry. E.R. Francie was trembling violently. Her teeth made little biting sounds. Mama, she moaned. Mama! Katie heard the story. It's come at last, she thought. The time when you can no longer stand between your children and heartache. When there wasn't enough food in the house, you pretended that you weren't hungry so they could have more. In the cold of a winter's night, you got up and put your blanket on their bed so they wouldn't be cold. You'd kill anyone who tried to harm them. I tried my best to kill that man in the hallway. Then one sunny day, they walk out in all innocence and they walk right into the grief that you'd give your life to spare them. Francie gave her the letter. She read it slowly, and as she read, she thought she knew how it was. Here was a man of 22 who evidently, to use one of Sissy's phrases, had been around. Here was a girl 16 years old, six years younger than he. A girl, in spite of bright red lipstick and grown-up clothes, and a lot of knowledge picked up here and there, who was yet tremulously innocent, a girl who had come to face to face with some of the evil of the world and most of its hardships, and yet had remained curiously untouched by the world. Yes, she could understand her appeal for him. Well, what could she say? that he was no good or at best just a weak man who was easily susceptible to whoever he was with? No, she couldn't be so cruel as to say that. Besides, the girl wouldn't believe her anyhow. Say something, demanded Francie. Why don't you say something? What can I say? Say that I'm young, that I'll get over it. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and lie. I know that's what people say. You'll get over it. I'd say it too. But I know it's not true. Oh, you'll be happy again. Never fear. But you won't forget. Every time you fall in love, it will be because something in the man reminds you of him. Mother. Mother. Katie remembered. She had called her own mother mama until the day she had told her that she was going to marry Johnny. She had said, mother, I'm going to marry 
She had never said mama after that. She had finished growing up when she stopped calling her mother mama. Now Francie. Mother, he asked me to be with him for the night. Should I have gone? Katie's mind darted around looking for words. Don't make up a lie, mother. Tell me the truth. Katie couldn't find the right words. I promise you that I'll never go with a man without being married first. If I ever marry. And if I feel that I must, without being married, I'll tell you first. That's a solemn promise. So you can tell me the truth without worrying that I'll go wrong if I know it. There are two truths, said Katie finally. As a mother, I say it would have been a terrible thing for a girl to sleep with a stranger, a man she has known for less than 48 hours. Horrible things might have happened to you. Your whole life might have been ruined. As your mother, I tell you the truth. But as a woman, she hesitated. I will tell you the truth as a woman. It would have been a very beautiful thing because there is only once that you love that way. Francie thought, I should have gone with him then. I'll never love anyone as much again. I wanted to go and I didn't go and now I don't want him that way anymore because she owns him now. But I wanted to and I didn't and now it's too late. She put her head down on the table and wept. After a while, Katie said, I got a letter too. Her letter had come several days ago, but she had been waiting for the right time to mention it. She decided that this was a good time. I got a letter, she repeated. Who? Who wrote? sobbed Francie. Mr. McShane. Francie sobbed louder. Aren't you interested? Francie tried to stop crying. All right. What does he say? She asked listlessly. Nothing. Except he's coming to see us next week. She waited. Francie showed no further signs of interest. How would you like Mr. McShane for a father? Francie's head jerked up. Mother, a man writes that he's coming to the house. Right away you think things. What makes you think you know everything all the time? I don't know. I don't know anything, really. I just feel. And when the feeling is strong enough, then I just say I know. But I don't. Well, how would you like him as a father? After the botch I've made of my own life, said Francie bitterly, and Katie didn't smile. I'm the last person to hand out advice. I'm not asking for your advice, only I'd know better what to do if I knew how my children felt about him. Francie suspected that her mother's talking about Miss McShane was a trick to divert her thoughts and she was angry because the trick had almost worked. I don't know, mother. 
I don't know anything. And I don't want to talk about anything anymore. Please go away. Please go away and leave me alone. Katie went back to bed. Well, a person can cry only so long. Then he has to do something else with his time. It was five o'clock. Francie decided it was no use going to bed. She'd have to get up again at seven. She discovered that she was very hungry. She had had nothing to eat since noon the day before, except a sandwich between the day and night shift. She made a pot of fresh coffee, some toast, and scrambled a couple of eggs. She was astonished at how good everything tasted. But while she was eating, her eyes went to the letter, and the tears came again. She put the letter in the sink and set a match to it. Then she turned on the faucet and watched the black ashes go down the drain. She resumed her breakfast. Afterwards, she got her box of writing paper from the cupboard and sat down to write a letter. She wrote, Dear Ben, you said I was to write if ever I needed you, so I'm writing. She tore the sheet in half. No, I don't want to need anybody. I want someone to need me. I want someone to need me. She wept again but not so hard this time. Chapter 54 It was the first time Francie had seen McShane without his uniform. She decided that he looked very impressive in his expensively tailored double-breasted gray suit. Of course, he wasn't as good-looking as Papa had been. He was taller and more massive. But he was handsome in his own way, decided Francie, even though his hair was gray. But gosh, he was awful old for mother. True, mother wasn't so young either. She was going on 35. Still, that wasn't much younger than 50. Still, that was much younger than 50. Anyhow, no woman need be ashamed to have McShane for a husband. While he looked exactly what he was, a shrewd politician, his voice was gentle when he spoke. They were having coffee and cake. With a pang, Francie noticed that McShane was sitting in her father's place at the table. Katie had just finished telling him all that had happened since Johnny died. McShane seemed amazed at the progress they had made. He looked at Francie. So this slip of a girl got herself to college last summer. And she's going again this summer, announced Katie proudly. That's wonderful for you. And she works in the bargain and earns $20 a week now. All that and good health too, he asked in honest amazement. The boy is halfway through high school. No. And he works at this and that afternoons and evenings. Sometimes he earns as much as $5 a week outside of school. A fine lad, one of the finest of lads. And look at the health of him, would you know? 
Fancy wondered why he commented so much on the health, which they themselves always took for granted. Then she remembered about his own children, how most of them had been born but to sicken and die before they grew up. No wonder he thought healthiness such a remarkable thing. And the baby? he inquired. Go get her, Francie, said Katie. The baby was in her crib in the front room. It was supposed to be Francie's room, but all had agreed that the baby needed to sleep where there was air. Francie picked up the sleeping child. She opened her eyes and instantly was ready for anything. Bye bye, Fanny? Park? Park? she asked. No, sweet, just an introduction to a man. Man? said Lori doubtfully. Yes, a great big man. Big man! repeated the child happily. Francie brought her out to the kitchen. The baby was truly a beautiful thing to see. She had a fresh dewy look in her pink flannel nightgown. Her hair was a mass of soft black curls. Her widely set apart dark eyes were luminous and there was a dusky rose color in her cheeks. Ah, the baby, the baby, crooned McShane. Tis a rose she is, a wild rose. If Papa were here, thought Francie, he'd start to sing my wild Irish rose. She heard her mother sigh and wondered whether she too was thinking. McShane took the baby. The child sat on his knees, stiffened her back away from him, and stared at him doubtfully. Katie hoped she wouldn't cry. Lori, she said, Mr. McShane, say Mr. McShane. The child lowered her head, looked up through her lashes, smiled knowingly, and shook her head, no. No, main, main, she stated. Man, she shouted triumphantly. Big man. She smiled at McShane and said wheedlingly, Take Lori bye-bye? Park? Park? Then she rested her cheek against his coat and closed her eyes. Arun, Arun, McShane crooned. The child slept in his arms. Miss Nolan, you're wondering why I came tonight. Let your wondering be over. I came to ask a personal question. Francie and Neely got up to leave. No, don't be leaving, children. The question would be concerning you as well as your mother. They sat down again. He cleared his throat. Miss Nolan, time has passed since your husband, God rest his soul, Yes, two and a half years. God rest his soul. God rest his soul, echoed Francie and Neely. And my wife, tis a year since she's been gone. God rest her soul. God rest her soul, echoed the Nolans. I've been waiting many years, and now the time has come when tis no longer disrespect to the dead to speak out. Catherine Nolan, I'm asking to keep company with you. Object a wedding in the fall. Katie looked quickly at Francie and frowned. What was the matter with mother anyhow? 
Fancy wasn't even thinking of laughing. I am in a position to take care of you and the three children. With my pension and salary and income from real estate in Woodhaven and Richmond Hill, or Richmond Hill, I have over $10,000 a year. I have insurance too. I offer to put the boy and girl through college and I promise to be a faithful husband in the future as I was in the past. Have you thought this over, Mr. McShane? I don't need to be thinking. Sure didn't I make up my mind five years ago when I saw you first at the Mahoney Outen. Twas then I asked the girl if it was her mother you were. I am a scrubwoman without education. She stated it as a fact, not an apology. Education. And sure, who was it taught me to read and write? Nobody but myself. But a man like you, in public life, needs a wife who knows social business, who can entertain his influential business friends. I'm not that kind of a woman. My office is where I do my business entertaining. My home is where I live. Now I'm not meaning you wouldn't be a credit to me. You'd be a credit to a better man. But I'm needing no woman to help me out in my business. I can handle myself, thank you. Need I be saying I love you? He hesitated before calling her by her first name. Catherine. And is it time you want to think it over? No, I don't need time to think it over. I will marry you, Mr. McShane. Not for your income, although I'm not overlooking that. Ten thousand a year's a lot of money. But so is one thousand to people like us. We've had little money and are well trained in doing without it. It's not for sending the children to college. Your help will make it so easy. But without help at all, I knew we'd manage some way. It's not for your grand public position, although it'll be fine to have a husband to be proud of. I will marry you because you are a good man, and I'd like to have you for my husband. It was true. Katie had made up her mind to marry him, if he asked her, simply because life was incomplete without a man to love her. It had nothing to do with her love for Johnny. She'd always love him. Her feeling for McShane was quieter. She admired and respected him, and she knew she'd be a good wife to him. Thank you, Catherine. Sure, it's little enough I'm given in exchange for a pretty young wife and three healthy children, he said in sincere humility. He turned to Francie. As the eldest, do you be approving? Francie looked at her mother, who seemed to be waiting for her to speak. She looked at her brother. He nodded. I think my brother and I would like to have you for a... Tears came into her eyes as she thought of her father, and she couldn't say that next word. Now, now, said McShane soothingly. I'll not have you worrying. He turned to Katie. I'm not asking that the two oldest call me father. They had a father, and he is fine a lad as God ever made, the way he was always singing. Francie felt her throat tightening. 
and I won't be asking that they take my name, Nolan being the fine name it is. But this little one I'm holding, the one who never looked on a father's face, would you be letting her call me father and letting me legally adopt her and give her the name that you and I will be carrying together? Katie looked at Francie and Neely. How would they take it? Their sister called McShane instead of Nolan. Francie nodded approval. Neely nodded approval. We will give you the child, said Katie. We can't call you father, said Neely suddenly, but we'll call you dad, maybe. I'm thanking you, said McShane simply. He relaxed and smiled at them. Now I'm wondering if I could smoke me pipe. Why you could have smoked any time without asking, said Katie in surprise. I didn't want to be taken privileges before I was entitled to them, he explained. Francie took the sleeping baby from him in order to let him smoke. Help me put her to bed, Neely. Why? Neely was thoroughly enjoying himself and didn't want to leave. To fix the blankets in the crib. Somebody's got to do it while I hold her. Didn't Neely know anything? Didn't he know that maybe McShane and Mother wanted to be alone for a minute, at least? In the darkness of the front room, Francie whispered to her brother, What do you think of it? It's sure a good break for Mama. Of course he isn't Papa. No, no one will ever be Papa. But aside from that, he's a nice man, though. Lori's going to have a mighty easy life, all right. Annie Laurie McShane. She'll never have the hard times we had, will she? No. And she'll never have the fun we had either. Gosh, we did have fun, didn't we, Neely? Yeah. Poor Laurie, said Francie, pityingly.